0: on average, your heart will beat 100,000 times in the next 24 hours. In the next 48, or excuse me, in the next 24 hours, 35 million times over the course of the next year. And on average, your heart will beat 2.5 billion times in your lifetime. And every single one of those heartbeats is essential for you to be alive. This, this small organ that's about the size of two of your fists will push millions of gallons of blood through every single part of your body. And it's responsible for transporting oxygen to your muscles and hormones to places they need to go and uh, even moving waste from parts of the body to places they need to go so they can be eliminated. And the heart is so important that if it stops or even even pauses for just a moment, then some of the life-essential functions begin to cease. And some of them will cease cease to exist automatically, and they will immediately stop. You see, heart disease has been and still remains the leading cause of death in the United States. Uh, More people will die from heart disease than all forms of cancer Put together every single year. In fact, more people, four times as many people will die from heart disease this year than any kind of accident or injury combined together. It's estimated that heart disease costs the U.S. Uh, $350 billion a year due to medical costs and lost wages. And these statistics are just part of the reason that groups like the American Heart Association and other groups have spent billions of dollars trying to develop life-saving medical research and technology. But these groups and doctors will tell you that the best weapon we have uh, against heart disease is nothing new, it's nothing innovative, it's no new medical technology. In fact, the best weapon we have against heart disease is if we will learn to guard our heart on the front end so that they don't have to repair it at a later time. If we physically guard our heart, and we know what that looks like physically, if we will eat healthy, if we will exercise, and we know what that looks like to guard our heart physically, to make sure that that life essential organ is able to do what it's supposed to do. But our question this morning is really, what does that look like spiritually? We're going to get to a passage um, in Proverbs chapter 4 this morning. We're going to start in verse 20. And I know uh, last week, I was in chapter 3 and I'm skipping to the end of chapter 4. We're going to go back um, to the first part of chapter 4 next week. But I thought since it was Valentine's Day, it'd be appropriate we'd just talk about the heart today and uh, focus on that. And so uh, we're going to be in Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 27 through the end of the chapter there. And uh, we're going to see what does wisdom tell us? What does it look like to guard our heart? What does it look like to guard it beforehand? What does it mean to guard our heart? Why is that important? And then what is the product of us guarding our heart? And so go ahead, and if you've got your Bibles, um, you can look along with me there. And we're going to start in Proverbs 4, verse 20. Uh, the text will be on the screen there right below me. So Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 20 says, My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Verse 26, carefully consider the path of your feet and all of your ways will be established. Finally, verse 27, don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the worship time that we've had together. God, we thank you that you do turn graves into garden. God, that there is nothing that is impossible for you. God, we thank you so much uh, that we can come to you and God, we can uh, confess our need for you. God, that we can come to you because you are our righteousness. You are our one defense. God, you are all that we need and all that sustains us, Father. God, I thank you that we can come and we can honestly confess, God, that we need you not just for eternity, but in this moment and in this time in our lives. And so, God, I'm praying this morning that you will speak to us wherever we are at, whatever room we're sitting in or or whoever we may be with. God, I pray that you will speak to us and your voice will be loud through your text this morning. God, that you will speak to us about the essentials and the reason this is so important, why we need to guard our heart. And so, God, I pray this morning that you will speak, and God, that we will be listening and we will be your students, God, wherever we may be at this moment. God, let us clear everything else out. Let us guard our heart and focus our attention solely on the words that you have for us this morning. Father, In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When Richard Nixon became president, the year was 1968, and he was faced with multiple problems all at one time. Uh, He had to deal with the Vietnam conflict, he had to deal with the space race against the Soviet Union, and he had to deal with a drastic increase of drug use here in America. And to combat that last problem of drug use in America, he is the one who really started and kind of coined the phrase of the U.S. war on drugs, and it was aimed at reducing the use of drugs in America, and he declared that drug abuse was public enemy number one, um, that that's what we need to focus on. And so Nixon believed that the best way to stop drug use in the United States was to guard the gateways of America and to prevent the drugs from entering the country in the first place. And so on September the 8th, 1969, Nixon launched what he called Operation Intercept to stop the flow of drugs from coming across the southern border. And so on that date, every vehicle that came across any of the 30 border crossing stations was subject to a mandatory three-minute search. So every vehicle that came across the border was going to be stopped and was going to be searched for a minimum of three minutes. They, they installed radars uh, around and across the border to help detect and capture those who tried to cross the border illegally who didn't come through the border crossing stations. And, and they went a step further. Twenty-seven international airports that had flights coming from Mexico were required to search every person in every bag that was on that flight that came in from Mexico. In fact, they even took it one step further. They stationed Navy ships in the Gulf of Mexico to intercept any boat that tried to enter the U.S. maritime limits from Mexico. And so by all accounts, this was a very aggressive and honestly a very costly campaign. But for Nixon and several others who designed this plan, they felt like this was worth the trouble. They felt like this was worth the cost because they thought that if they had any hope of reducing the drugs that were being used in the United States and America, then they had to be very intentional and very diligent about what we allowed to come into our country. You see, for them... The best way to guard the heart of America was to guard the gateways of our nation. And that's exactly the same idea that Solomon says about our spiritual hearts here in this passage. That if we're going to guard our hearts then we have to be very intentional and very diligent about guarding the gateways of our heart, about, uh, about what we allow into our heart from the very beginning. So the first couple of verses that we read, Solomon points out these two gateways uh, that, that have access to our heart, that we really need to guard these two gateways. The first one he talks about is our ears, that we need to guard the gateways of our ears. And so he picks up this idea in the very first verse we read in verse 20. And he starts with this phrase that's been common to us. If you've been following along, he uses this phrase over and over. Uh, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my saying. Literally, he, he says to incline your ears to what I'm saying, which means to turn your ears towards me or to stretch your ears in a direction so that you can hear better what I'm saying some of you know that when I was younger, I did a fair amount of coon hunting, and uh, I was even part of a hunting club that we had competition hunts once a month, and we called them buddy hunts because they were friendly. It was just it was competition, but it wasn't like over the top competition. It was you could just relax and you hunt, and you you won a prize if you won, but it was just a casual, much more casual atmosphere than some of the bigger hunts that we've been to. And um, so when you're on these buddy hunts, you're with a group of three or four other men, and uh, you let your dogs out, and usually from the time you let your dogs go um till that first bark it's just casual i mean everybody's just kind of calm everybody's relaxed in fact there's just kind of conversation going on because these are people you know these are people that you live around and um, and so you talk to them about their dogs and what's going on about their life and and then all of a sudden that first dog barks and everything changes from that moment on when the first dog barks Everything stops and it becomes very serious in that moment. In fact, there was one guy that I hunted with so often um, that when the first dog barked, he immediately changed his posture. Like he would stop. If he was talking to, to you, like I'm talking to you right now, he would stop mid sentence. And then he would take up this posture that I'll never forget in my life. He would, wherever the dog, so if the dogs were, were over this way and he heard that first one bark, he'd take his hands and he'd cup them behind his ears like this, and he would point kind of like he was a, a human radar, and he'd point himself whichever direction those dogs were, were barking at. And he would literally stand in this same posture, kind of like cocked over like this. In the same posture, he would stand there from the first bark of the first dog all the way through the trail and all the way until the dog's treat. And then he would stand there for a few more minutes just making sure Um, that he was hearing what he needed to hear. You see, and so for him, that was the only way that he could block out all the other noise that was around him. That was the only way that he could focus his ears solely on what his dog was doing and not anybody else. See, when you're hunting in those kind of competition hunts, you don't get points for what other people's dogs are doing. You don't get points for what you think your dog might be doing. You only get points for what you hear your dog doing and what you tell the judge that your dog is doing. So when this guy put his hands behind his ears, and he, he focused solely on the voice of his dog in that moment. And so he, he wasn't worried about the cars that were around him or driving down the road. He he blocked out every other part of any conversation that may possibly be going on around him. He didn't care about the people that were in the woods with him. In fact, he didn't even care about what the other dogs were doing. You see, there's a, there's a pack of three or four dogs that you're hunting with. And in that moment, the only voice he was wanting to hear, the only voice that mattered, was the dog that was his. And so he wasn't going to listen to anything else. He wasn't going to pay attention to anything else. All the other noise, all the other junk that was around him was blocked out in that moment. And that's exactly what Solomon is encouraging His Son and all of us to do when He says, Pay attention to my words. He says, I want you to know that, that you need to know that what I'm telling you is important. Don't just, don't just let this be another sound. Don't just let this be another voice that are in the wilderness. You've got all these other sounds and noises around you. Don't let this just be another one of them. Pay attention. Focus in on this one thing. Listen closely to my sayings. This is where he says, turn your ears this way so that not only are you paying attention to my words, but you are literally blocking out every other sound that is around you. All the other voices that are trying to get your attention. Don't pay attention to them. And so when I see, when I read this passage, I automatically think of that guy we used to hunt with. Because that's what he did with his dog. He he blocked out everything else, and he gave his attention solely to this one sound. And that's what Solomon says for us to do: block out. Everything else. Be very diligent. In fact, we need to guard the gateways of our heart by guarding the gateways of our ears and focus your attention by listening on the words and the wisdom of God. That we turn and we listen to Him and we listen to His Word and we block out all the other sounds and all the other noise that's around us. Let's be honest, we live in a world that is filled with sounds. We live in a world that is filled, honestly, mostly with noise. And sometimes it's very hard to distinguish and determine which voice to listen to or overcome all the noise. And that's why Solomon through God, or God through Solomon, is telling us, listen, you need to be diligent and be intentional about what comes into your ears because what comes into your ears is going to make its way into its heart. You see, part of the reason that our hearts are not aligned with God is because we haven't been diligent and we haven't been intentional about guarding the gateways of our ears. You see, so often we'll find ourselves listening to things that maybe we shouldn't be. We'll listen to things that are ungodly. We'll listen to to voices that are not lifting up. We'll listen to to music that that maybe isn't exactly what we should be listening to. We'll pop our earbuds in and we'll listen to music and, and we'll never even think about the message of those lyrics. And some of us will even somewhat deceive ourselves and we'll say, you know, I, I don't listen to it for the words. In fact, I don't even know the words. I just, I just like the beat of the song. And I just pay attention to the beat of the song. And so I, I'm just listening to the beat of the song. And so we, we kind of deceive ourselves and we say, we don't even know what the words are, much less what they're saying. I'm just listening for this beat. But you know what I found so often when people just listen to the beat of the song? It's not very long before they start singing along to the words that they weren't paying attention to. It's not very long to when the beat comes on that they can start um, lip-syncing or singing the words along with it. They know exactly what that song says. They didn't pay attention to it. They weren't trying to pay attention to it. But what they let in their ears got into their heart somehow. And so I'll be honest with you. I grew up listening to country music. And I'm going to be honest with you, it was country music back when country music was good country music, not like it is today, okay? And so, I, I don't know what you call it today, but it's, it's I, I wouldn't classify it as country music. Um, but, uh, that's what I grew up listening to, and I, I didn't think, honestly, about the words of the songs... But a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting around and we had the kids there in the living room with us and, and so we were listening to some music and some of those old songs came on and man, the words just popped right back in my mind. Like I automatic, I just remembered exactly the words of those songs. And it had been years since I listened to that stuff. But those words got into my ears and they got into my heart. And I'm going to be honest with you, some of the songs, not all of them, but some of the songs that I listened to back then, Or things that I wouldn't listen to now. Because there are some of those songs that if I'm sitting in the living room with my kids, I'm like, oh... That's not the language I want my kids to be hearing. Or, that's not the message that I want my kids to be hearing. You see, if we're listening and we're constantly listening to music or, or messages that are not what we are or supposed to be listening to, if we're constantly listening to things that don't line up with God, what God's teaching is, if we're constantly um, having to kind of, oh, that was bad, oh, that was bad, maybe that's an indication that maybe we shouldn't be listening to it in the first place. And so I'm not going to say that you only need to listen to hymns or you only need to listen to Christian music, but I'm going to say this that we need to be very intentional about what we do listen to. And we need to be very diligent about what we do allow into the gateways of our ears, into the gateway of our kids' ears, because it's going to find its way into the heart of ourselves, into the hearts of our kids. And so if we're going to get serious about guarding our hearts, then we've got to get serious about guarding the gateways of our ears and what it is that we're allowing into our mind and what we're allowing into our ears. But see, that's not the only gateway that Solomon addresses. In verse 21, he addresses the, the gateway of the eyes. You see, there's there's two gateways that he's going to address. The gateway of the ears, and the gateway is the eyes. And he does it in verse 21, and he also picks it up again in verse 25. And uh, just like the ears, what we hear with our ears, and they make their way into our heart, so does what we see with our eyes. The eyes are another gateway into ourselves, into our hearts. And so in verse 21, Solomon speaking these words, he literally said, or speaking of his words, he writes this. He says, don't lose sight of them in his words and wisdom and so on. Keep them within your heart. And literally what he says is don't let them depart from your eyes. Uh, keep these words and these instructions in front of you so that you can focus on them and don't be distracted by all the other stuff around you. And he picks up the same idea in verse 25 a few verses later. And he develops the idea a little further in verse 25. He says, Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. You see, not only did I do coon hunt when I was a kid, but we also had horses growing up, and I loved having horses. And I didn't love all the work that came with having horses, but I loved the reward of it and the reward was that you got to just jump on this thousand pound animal and go for a ride and so we sometimes as a family we would do that we would jump on our animals or horses and uh, we all had different horses that were kind of our favorites and so it wasn't unusual on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon or or, um, some other time for us to go on a trail ride we'd all saddle them up and then we would all go for a ride and sometimes we'd be gone for hours And for you guys that have horses or been around horses, you kind of know how trail rides work. You have somebody who's in front, and then literally the goal of all the other horses is just just to follow the horse in front of you. And so you you pick who's going to be in charge, and it was always my dad and his horse, and he was going to be the one in front, and then me and my brother, and then my mom was going to bring up the rear. She was going to be in the back, and that's the way we always did it. And so most of our horses were really good trail riding horses. They just followed straight along. They just followed the path. Right in front of They just followed the horse right in front of them. Except we had one horse um, that suffered from ADHD. All right. Except, honestly, he didn't suffer from it at all. We suffered from his ADHD, but he, I think he really kind of enjoyed it. Um, but we're the ones that suffered from it. But uh, it wasn't unusual if for this one horse. And somehow it was always the horse that my mom wanted. It was the one that she wanted to ride. And so we'd be riding along. Dad would be up front. And then me, and then my brother, and then mom in the back. And uh, we'd be riding along, going along on these And then you start hearing my mom in the back just yelling, help, help. And then we'd have to turn around and we'd look and mom wasn't there. Like she was supposed to be right behind us and she wasn't. And what had happened was that her horse had saw either a different path or her horse saw a patch of grass or or a field over there. And when he saw it, He was going to it. It didn't matter if the horse was in front of him, kept going. It didn't matter what he, like his ADHD kicked in in just those moments. And when he saw it, impulse kicked in and he was gone that way. And so me and my brother would stop. My dad would stop, and he'd have to turn his horse around. And I don't know if you've ever tried to convince a 1,000-pound animal not to go somewhere when they have their mind set on it, but it's pretty hard to do, okay? Um, and so my mom I tried to get the horse to come back and get on the path, but she couldn't do it. And so my dad would tell me and my brother just to stop and wait, and he'd have to circle back, and he'd have to go um, convince the horse in maybe the not nicest way to get back on the trail. And this happened so many times over and over and over. And finally, we, I mean, we tried lots of different things to, to fix this. In fact, we said, well, maybe this horse shouldn't be in the back. Maybe we should put this horse in the middle somewhere. And so we did. We put the horse in the middle, and then we'd start on the trail, and then the same thing would happen. All of a sudden, Mom would start yelling because the horse was going to the left, which oddly enough meant the horse behind her would start going to the left too. And so now instead of one horse got rogue, we got two rogue horses going on. We thought, well, maybe if we put this horse in the front, Well, that didn't work well because we just never ended up on a trail in the first place. They just went to the grass all the time. And then all the horses are getting in the grass. And so my dad finally came up with this idea that if we're ever going to enjoy a trail ride the way we want to, the way this was supposed to work, then we've got to fix this problem. And so the way he fixed it was that he went and bought a set of blinders. Now, some of you know what blinders are and some of you don't. But blinders, a lot of times they were used for for mules or horses or, or donkeys when they're plowing. But we bought was set for this horse. And blinders are literally these little leather flaps that you kind of put on the horse and you kind of put them right beside their eyes so that all they can see is what's straight in front of them. They can't see anything to the side. It takes out their peripheral vision so all they can see is what's straight in front of them. Right. And so we thought this is gonna this is gonna be the answer to our problem. And my dad put those blinders on that horse and, and he he couldn't see the grass. Around him, he couldn't see the other path, and so when my dad put those blinders on him and we took him out for a trail ride, it changed everything. My mom, for the very first time, got to enjoy a trail ride the way she was supposed to, the way it was designed to, because the the horse he couldn't see the grass off to the side, he couldn't see a path going on a different direction. He couldn't go upstream while the rest of us went across the stream because he didn't see it. It wasn't in his vision and so he was. we had to be very intentional about guarding the gateways of that horse's eyes to keep him on the right path, to keep him in the right direction. And we had to fix his gaze on what he was supposed to be looking at and we he was supposed to be focused on instead of letting him focus on all this other stuff. And you see that's what Solomon is telling us to do when he says, don't let my instructions leave your eyes or don't let them out of your sight. You see, if we're going to fix our eyes on something, then we need to fix our eyes on the wisdom of God's Word. We need to fix our eyes on the words of truth. In fact, the writer of Hebrews takes this a little step further, and he's very specific in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, when he says to keep your eyes on Jesus, or keep them fixed on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Listen, if you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus, if we're going to keep our eyes on the cross, then we won't find ourselves wandering off the path. If we'll focus on Him and focus on what He gave up and what He sacrificed for us and what our sin cost Him, then we won't want to go on that path anymore. We won't find ourselves giving into those temptations that we shouldn't have. We won't find ourselves distracted by all this other stuff. We will fix our gaze solely on Him and fix our gaze on the cross and we'll know that's what it costs to bring us new life. That's what it costs to fix this heart within us and that's where we fix our eyes. And so we're going to guard our heart means we've got to be intentional about guarding our eyes. And so I want to ask you this. You're watching me wherever you're at right now. Whatever your screen you're watching on right now, you're watching me but my question isn't that. My question is this. In five hours from now, what are you going to be watching on this same screen or a different screen? In ten hours from now, maybe after the kids have gone to bed or, or maybe after everybody else in your house has gone to bed and it's just you, what are you going to be watching on this same screen that you're watching me on right now? Is it going to be something that gives you the exact same message that I'm giving you? Or is it going to be something that's filled with images that are not glorifying to God? Filled with images that directly contradict the words and the wisdom of God? Is it going to be something that, that directly uh, contradicts what God says? That, something that promotes what God condones? Is it going to be something that's filled with images that treat other people like objects and treat ladies like objects instead of brothers and sisters in Christ? The Im- images that, that honestly we wouldn't Watch if Jesus was sitting in the room with us. We'd tell him to cover his eyes or man, we'd be real quick to change the channels. You see, if we're going to guard our heart, we've got to be diligent and intentional about guarding the gateway of both our ears and our eyes. Because what we hear with our ears and what we see with our eyes, they will make their way to our heart. In fact, they will become the plaque that builds up in our arteries that cause irreparable damage to the heart that we have. You see, and it won't just affect the heart. It'll affect every part of our life because that's what the heart is. It is vital and it is essential to everything that we do and everything that comes out of us and in us and through us. That's why it's so important that we guard it. And that's the reason we protect it and we try to keep it healthy. And verse 23 is probably one of the most well known verses in the whole book of Proverbs. Verse 23 is, is one of those verses that people will take just part of it, and, and they'll they'll focus on that. In verse 23, Solomon writes says he says, Guard your heart above all else, or another translation say, with all diligence, for it is the source of life. Or you may say that it, from it flows the springs of life. You see, the Hebrew understanding of the heart, it was not just this process organ in your body that pumped blood. When they spoke of the heart, it really was the whole being of the person. It it included everything that we think of within the inner man. It included your mind, your soul, your thinking, your conscience, your personality. Everything that makes you a person That's what was included in the idea of a heart. It's kind of this all-inclusive term for the inner person of someone. And so when the Bible speaks, it speaks a lot about the heart and the condition of the heart. Another passage that talks about the heart is Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And Jeremiah says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Ezekiel, another prophet in the Old Testament in chapter 11 verse 9 tells us that we all have this heart of stone that needs to be replaced with a heart of flesh and basically what he's saying is we have this heart that is so hard that it's ineffective in pumping blood, it's ineffective and it's impossible for that hard heart, that heart of stone to to move and and when it can't move it can't sustain life or anything else and so what we need is we need someone to come in and transplant that heart, we need someone who, who will remove that hard, useless... A pointless heart and, and replace it with one that's strong and one that's clean and one that's able to be new and one that's actually able to work and pump out the blood and pump out the life source that we need it to. And you see, that's exactly what God does for us through the work of Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, God is speaking here and God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Verse twenty-seven. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and and carefully observe my ordinances. You see, this is what happens when we, we become Christians. This is what happens to us when we become a follower of Christ. When we trust in Christ, God gives us not just a change of a heart, but He gives us a new heart. He removes the heart of stone, this one that's dead and not able to sustain life. And He puts a new heart, a fresh heart, one that's capable of giving what it needs to, one that's sustaining life. He puts that in us and He gives us more than just this new heart. He gives us His Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. This Spirit, His Spirit actually lives, it abides within us. In fact, our new heart becomes the habitat of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important for us to protect and guard this new heart with all diligence because we don't want anything in our heart to grieve the Holy Spirit or or we don't want anything that would crowd or expose the Holy Spirit to stuff that shouldn't be there in the first place. You see, if we're going to start putting all this other junk in our heart, it means that we've got to push some other stuff out. If we fill our heart full of junk, then there's not enough room in there for the fruits of the Spirit that should be there. And so the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, all those fruits that should be in there, they're not going to be able to be there and be useful if our heart is so much full of all this other junk that we haven't guarded, that we've just let flow in through all the other channels and all the other gateways. You see, if we want this life of goodness and uh, this life of joy and this life of patience, then we've got to make sure there's room in our heart for those things because that's what the Holy Spirit is producing in us and through us. In fact, looking at later at the end of verse 23, one author says this. He says that the heart is the source of life and that it is the capacity to live with joy and vigor. Ultimately, it comes from within and not from the circumstances around us. A corrupt heart draws one down to the grave, but wisdom protects the heart from Corruption, and So what he's telling you is, listen, if your life is not one of joy, if your life is not full of, of uh, peace, if your life is not full of love, then it's not the problem of the circumstances around you. It may be that there's too much junk, there's too much corruption, there's too much stuff in your heart that shouldn't be there in the first place. If we want to live a life of joy, if we want to live a life of peace, if we want to live a life of love, then we've got to guard this heart and protect this heart. we got to get serious about being holy so the Holy Spirit feels comfortable where He's at. We've got to get serious about cleaning the house and cleaning the space that we've allowed Him and given Him to incorporate and to abide in our heart. We've got to get rid of the corruption and the pollution that's in our heart and we've got to live these things out because this is what we have to do to protect our heart so that it can flow not just through our heart but through everything. When we get serious about living a holy life, then we get serious about guarding and protecting your heart from the inside. It's going to be pretty easy to tell On the outside, you see, because the behaviors on the outside actually demonstrate the heart's condition on the inside. And that's the last major idea that Solomon mentions in this passage that what we uh, believe and and feel and do on the inside is demonstrated and reflected by what we say and what we do on the outside. Just like he addressed these two gateways coming into the heart, and then he ends by addressing these two behaviors that flow out of the heart. And so you can think of it as kind of uh, these are two ways to kind of check your heart, if you will, to try to check the condition of your heart. Are you guarding your heart well or are you not? And the way you're going to know that is by what you say and what you do on the outside. So the first indicator of how good you're doing at guarding your heart is the words that you say. What comes out of your mouth often will tell you more about you and what's on the inside than anything else. And so he says in verse 24, Solomon addresses this very specifically with his son and with us. He writes in verse 24, he says, Don't let your, or excuse me, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously dishonest speech we know what that is that's simply when you don't tell the truth when you speak of things that you either know are not true or you don't know that they are true and so it's you're you're just speaking something you know is not the truth and so for us that's the dishonest heart but this this devious speech is a little beyond this it is, it is a calculated, manipulative speech. This is what happens when uh, you are a kid or you have kids and you're, you know you're in trouble. This is what happens when your parents stop you in the front door of your house or you stop your kids at the front door of your house and they look at you and they say, is there anything you want to tell me about today? And you know at that moment that they know something, but what you don't know is what they know about today, or about last night, or whatever the time was. Is there anything you want to tell me about what happened in school today? I went to school today. I ate lunch at school today. And so uh, automatically, when you're in that moment, you, you start thinking, you're like, well, how much do they know about what happened at school today or how much do they know about what happened in this situation or about what happened last night. And so you automatically begin to calculate and and formulate what's gonna be the best thing that you can tell them. And you calculate which parts of the stories that you should add and which part of the story that you could leave out. You you start to calculate, is it worth telling on this or is it worth telling on that? You start to calculate which part of your story or which part of the story is gonna kind of make you look better or make someone look worse. You see rather than telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, you start to calculate and you start to to try to figure out, is this going to help me or is this going to hurt me? Is this going to make me look good or is this part going to make me look good, bad? And so for kids, man, this is that they start to to leave out parts of the story, they start to really highlight other parts of the story all with this idea of of calculating and manipulating the story so that they don't look as bad as they're supposed to. And they don't tell the whole truth, but they look better than they're supposed to. And I would love to say that that stops with kids, but I'm going to be honest with you. I know a lot of adults that use devious speech. I know a lot of adults that will, will calculate their speech so that they look better or they do it so that someone else will look worse. I know a lot of folks that will hear something and they don't really know if that something is true or not, but it doesn't stop them from passing that along and, and telling it to certain people who will tell other certain people who will tell other certain people, all calculated so that you look better and someone else looks worse. You see, the problem is not really, if that's you, and, and, and you are guilty of that, the problem is not the words that come out of your mouth. It is the sin that is within your heart. Dr. Danny Aiken, the pastor, or excuse me, the president of Southeastern Seminary, he puts it this way. He says that evil speech reflects an evil heart. If you use your speech to hurt others, deceive others, gossip about others, or falsely flatter others, it's the overflowing of a sinful heart. And he takes this idea straight from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he really gets on to the Pharisees, and he ends that verse by saying, for the, "From the mouth speaks for the over, or, excuse me, for the mouth, speaks from the overflow of the heart." Listen, uh, what you say with your mouth, what comes out of your mouth, is a reflection of what's in your heart. And so if you are calculating, if you're manipulating words, if you're using them harmful and deceitful, it's because that is the condition of your heart. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a time where kids got their mouth washed out with soap if they said something they weren't supposed to. And, uh, and some of you have had that experience, some of you not. Um, but I can tell you this, that you can use all the soap you want to to wash somebody's mouth out, but the words that come out of their mouth are not the problem. You can use all the soap that you want to to wash those bad words away, but the words are not a problem. The problem is that those words are what is in the heart of that person. And so maybe... Just maybe if we did a little better job of guarding our hearts and guarding the hearts of our children, then maybe we wouldn't have to use so much soap to try to fix the problem that's more than skin deep. If, if we guarded our heart a little deeper and a little better, then maybe we wouldn't have to apologize so much for the words that came out of our mouth when we smashed our finger or when we, when we said something we shouldn't have when we calculated our speech and we got caught doing it. Maybe we wouldn't have to apologize so much or say we're sorry so much if we guarded our heart in the very first place. You see, I'll repeat the words that Dr. Aiken said again. If you use your speech to hurt others, to deceive others, to gossip about others, or to falsely flatter others, it is an overflow of a sinful heart. You see, you don't need to just repent and say you're sorry for the words that came out of your mouth. You need to do a better job of repenting and guarding your heart from those things being there in the first place. You need to ask for a clean and pure heart from the very beginning and for it to be washed away from the inside out. You see, your heart reveals what's inside of it, not only by what you say, but also what you do and where you go. The path that you walk will demonstrate the condition of your heart as well. And this is the idea that Solomon puts in these last two verses of this chapter. He says in verse 26, "...carefully consider... The path of your feet and all your ways will be established. And this word, carefully considered, it's a very interesting word because it comes from a root word that means to roll flat or to make level. All right, and, and so what he's really saying is that uh, you need to flatten out your path. And this is the word they would use right before they start preparing a road or in our days paving a road this is all the pre-work that goes into before they actually put the asphalt down and and so if you're preparing something you're trying to prepare something to be paved or prepare a road you flatten the ground out you try to make it as level as you can and if there's anything sticking up that may cause someone to trip or may cause someone to stumble then you remove it from the path and you fill in the hole that's left there so it's flat and it's smooth and it's easy to walk on there's not obstacles. There's not rocks and sticks that are sticking up out of the ground that is going to cause somebody to trouble. To trouble on this path, and so the heart that's being guarded doesn't keep stumbling over the same things over and over again. The heart that is guarded, in fact, does more than than just avoid those things. A a guarded heart goes beyond just stepping over or learn how to walk around an obstacle. A heart that is guarded is so concerned with living a holy life that it takes the time to remove the things out of the path in the first place. So it's not just, hey, let me get there, but it's let me take time to remove things from my path that are going to cause me to stumble either this time or the next time I'm path. Take it a step further. I'm going to remove things from this path that are not only necessarily going to cause me to stumble, but may cause somebody behind me to stumble and fall. You see, if we're so concerned about living this, this heart-guarded life, we're going to make sure that we live a holy life and we're going to not just step over stuff or around stuff. We're going to remove it from our life. We're going to make the path Flat. We're going to roll it flat, make it level. And the heart that is guarded is going to make sure the path in front of them is smooth and it is level. Because they want to make sure that there's no chance of them stumbling or no chance that someone behind them is going to fall over something they could have prevented. And Solomon adds another dimension to this in verse 27. He says the guarded heart will also have his eyes fixed straight ahead. In verse 27 he says don't turn to the right or to the left keep your feet away from evil. We kind of already talked about this idea of the eyes uh, and being fixed straight ahead. So now that your eyes are fixed, your feet will follow your eyes. They will walk straight ahead. They won't walk to the right. They won't walk to the left. They won't veer one way or the other. So you remove the stumbling blocks that are in front of you and then you don't even have the option of going right or left because you've got those blinders on. You're focused straight ahead. You see, when our heart is guarded our eyes are fixed on Jesus. When our heart is guarded, He determines our steps when our heart is guarded we walk the path that he's laid before us when our heart is guarded we won't find ourselves wandering back to the same places that we've been before we won't find ourselves wandering back into the same sins that we've been doing over and over again in fact we won't find ourselves there because those things suddenly lost their appeal to us because we've got our eyes fixed on christ we've got our eyes fixed on the cross and we've got our eyes set on a prize that is far greater than what looked so attractive to us before you see We started this conversation this morning by talking about this Operation Intercept and the war on drugs. And so I want to finish our time together by telling you the rest of the story of that operation. You see, ultimately, Operation Intercept failed to stop drug use in America. And it really failed for two major reasons. The first reason that it failed was because it didn't guard all the gateways into the United States. You see, they they did a great job. And drastically reducing the drug flow from Mexico into the United States. In fact, such a good job that there was deemed a, a drug shortage in the United States for a while. But what they didn't do was they didn't address drugs coming in from other places. They didn't address drugs coming in from, from Vietnam or drugs coming in from Africa or drugs being shipped in from Asia. And they didn't address all these other drugs that were coming in from other places. And they really didn't address the drugs that were being produced right here within the United States. You see, I'm telling you that because if we're going to guard the gateways of our life, then we've got to make sure we guard all of them. Because I want you to know this, that if you guard just one gateway of your life, then know the enemy is going to find another one. Know that the enemy is always looking for another way, another avenue. And so you can say, I'm going to put up this block, and I'm going to guard this border. I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen to me or my family. I'm going to make sure that we draw this line, and we're going to protect this one. But if you're going to protect that one, you've got to protect over here, because if you can't get in this way, he's going to get in some other way. So hear this warning clearly, that you can guard all the gateway or one gateway all you want, but unless you are intentionally guarding all the gateways, then the enemy's going to find another way in. So listen to me real carefully, parents. You can guard what comes across your TV screen all you want to. You can guard the music that your kids listen to all you want to. But if you give them complete, unfiltered, um, unguarded access to the Internet, guess what's going to find another way in? All that stuff that you thought was going to be guarded against the TV. Let me tell you, the opposite is true. If you guard them against the internet, if you guard them against music, but you let them watch whatever they want to on TV, it's going to find its way in there. We have to be intelligent or in, uh, digi- we have to be um, intentional and diligent about guarding not just one gateway, but about all the gateways, not just for ourselves, but for our kids. Because what I just told you about kids is the same for me as, a, as an adult male, same for my wife, same for every adult. We've got to be on guard of all the gateways and keep our guard up everywhere, not just in one area. But see, there's another reason, and probably the saddest reason that the operation failed was because it was abandoned. And it was abandoned due to political peer pressure. You see, people just, they didn't like the convenience or the inconvenience of the mandatory car searches and the mandatory bag searches. And so... Uh, people, they, they got tired of waiting in line at the border. They got tired of having to stop for three minutes and let their car be searched. And, and for folks that traveled a lot, this became a huge inconvenience. And folks that lived in the border towns and would travel back and forth, it became such a huge inconvenience that they just stopped traveling. They just stopped going back and forth across the border. And when folks stopped traveling, it really hurt the revenue of those cities that are on the border. And so some of them saw their um, their revenue drop as much as 50%, some of them maybe even 60 or 70% percent they saw their tourism revenue drop by that much and so they begin to pressure the administration to say listen you need to stop the searches you need to cut back on these searches don't make them mandatory and and maybe don't make them as long or, or maybe just a little compromise what if we just searched every other car What if we just searched every tenth car? There's got to be some way to compromise in this approach. And so they begin to pressure the administration more and more and more. Just back off the searches. Man, it's really hurting our bottom line. It's really hurting our our business. It's not convenient for us. It's causing us to lose um, uh, cloud. It's causing us to lose money. And you know what the administration did? They did exactly what they were asked to do. And just a little over a month, they abandoned the searches altogether. And here we are, 60 years later, and the United States still has a major drug problem. We are still the world's largest importer of illegal drugs, and the vast majority of those illegal drugs still come across our southern border. And I want to tell you that not as a political statement, but I want to tell you that it's simply this. It is our warning it is the truth that if you're going to resolve to guard your heart in the way that Scripture tells us to, then you need to know it's not going to be convenient. You need to know that it's not going to be easy. You need to know there's going to be other people on the outside that are going to see what you're going to be doing and going to say, that's so strange and that's so weird. Why would you try to do that? They're going to put pressure on you from every aspect that you can even think of, even ways that you haven't even thought of. The pressure is going to come against you to, to just, just give a little bit. Just compromise just a little bit. Just let Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. And the pressure's going to mount over and over and over. And so I want to give you this clear warning that to guard your heart, it's not easy. It's not convenient. And if you're looking for convenience and easy, then just give up. Because you're never going to find it in an attempt to guard your heart. But see, what you're going to find is the more you stick to your guns, the more pressure is going to build. The more you stick to your guns, the the stronger the enemy is going to get. Because in fact, we're waiting for you to abandon and give up this idea of guarding your heart. They're waiting for just an opportunity to seek just a little compromise in your life. But let me tell you, just a little compromise never ends with just a little compromise. The idea of let's search every other car didn't end with every other car. It didn't end with maybe every tenth car. It didn't end until there was let's search no cars you see if you give in to the temptations then i'm going to tell you those same demons are going to be there over and over and over again and you're going to find yourselves 20 30 60 years down the road fighting those same demons they don't go away they just come back stronger and stronger and stronger every single time see one little compromise leads to a bigger compromise which leads to a bigger compromise yeah, it's not convenient. You're going to have to say no to a lot of stuff. But I've got to be honest with you. It's time that we get intentional about guarding our heart with all diligence. It's time that we take a stand for holiness. That we can demonstrate to the world, not only with the words that we say, but with the path that we walk. It's what God tells us to do when He tells us to guard our heart with all diligence. It's what God tells us to do when He tells us to guard the gateways of our ears and our eyes. It's what God tells us to do that when we speak, we speak the heart that's been cleaned and purified. That when we walk a path, we walk a path from a heart that's been cleaned and purified. That's the holiness that we're called to do. So let's be uh, intentional. Let's be diligent about guarding our heart above all else. Let's pray together.